Six. Are you listening to Drive on Five Live with Anna and Tony? Now, Theresa May is due to address the United Nations General Assembly in New York very shortly. She'll urge internet giants like Facebook and Google to do more to tackle the spread of internet extremism. Yeah, the Prime Minister will instruct firms to go further and faster in taking down terrorist material and say that they should develop tools to automatically block it from ever appearing on the internet or even, frankly, being uploaded in the first place. Earlier today, though, the General Counsel of Google, Kent Walker, told the BBC that technology firms were already making huge efforts, but that the task was almost impossible. You can't necessarily catch everything on the entirety of the internet. We rely on what we call trusted flaggers, reputable sources like police departments and the like, to help us identify and respond as quickly as possible. It's challenging for any communications platform to identify everything that's traveling over its lines and make very fine-grained and sophisticated uh, analysis of what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and what's potentially illegal. Identifying it and identifying the difference between bomb-making instructions and other things that might look similar but be perfectly legal or documentary or scientific in nature is a real challenge. Whenever we can locate this material, we are removing it. The challenge is, in many cases, that once it's removed, many people repost it or there are copies of it across the web. We have thousands of people on behalf of, of all the different companies who are working to train and improve the quality of our machine learning. The challenge is, while machine learning is a powerful tool, it's still relatively early in its evolution. Well, we did invite Facebook and Twitter onto the programme tonight, but they were unavailable. Uh, Facebook did give us a statement, though. It's been uh, voiced up here by one of our producers. Terror groups have become increasingly sophisticated in their use of technology and companies have responded by increasing their focus on keeping these bad actors off their services. This is certainly true at Facebook, where we have long taken measures to keep terrorist content off our site. We now have more than 150 people across our company working primarily on countering terrorism. This includes engineers, content reviewers, terrorism experts, language specialists and former law enforcement officials. We've got better at identifying and removing terrorist content from our site. And in fact, most of the content we remove, we identify on our own before anyone has reported it. We welcome the opportunity to further engage with other organisations and companies to find better ways to prevent online radicalisation and recruitment. That's a statement from Facebook. Uh, we are waiting for Theresa May to speak at the United Nations. She's not up yet and with 20 minutes to go, we may or may not hear from her, but if we do, we'll bring it to that live. Before now and seven, though, in the meantime, we're going to discuss what can be done and perhaps more pertinently what can't be done to tackle online extremism. With us, Brian Lord, former Deputy Director for Intelligence and Cyber Operations at GCHQ and now head of cybersecurity company PGI. Hello, Brian. Good afternoon. Uh, Charlie Winters here, a research fellow at the International Centre for the Study of Radicalisation. Hello, Charlie. Hello. And Chris Sampson, a leading expert in online radicalisation and the co-author of Hacking ISIS, How to Destroy the Cyber Jihad. Chris, hello to you. Good afternoon. Guys, this all works better for us if you have a three-way conversation. I'll chip in now and again, but I'd, I'd, I'd love this to be a kind of a round-table assessment of, of where we are now, if that makes sense to you guys. So f feel free to chip in when you want, just because your name was first, Brian, I'll start with you. What is the moral obligation on, on these tech giants, the likes of Facebook and Twitter, to actually do something, do you think? 
Well, there, there is a moral obligation. And I, mean, I think um, at one level, they've they've taken up that moral obliga- obligation. They already have. To be fair to Facebook and all of those, they already have taken steps already to re- to reduce the time that, that content is online um, and and also identify new content. But as Theresa, as Theresa May will say, she still doesn't believe it's quick enough. And an awful lot of people will say it's still not happening quickly enough and they can do more. And it is right that this type of pressure is applied because I think the reason that the tech giants have have moved so far in the last year has been because of this type of pressure because bear in mind there are a lot of other dynamics other than security that these companies have to have to consider which is of course their commercial basis the fact that they operate internationally and what is offensive to one person isn't necessarily offensive to other which makes it very 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 challenging and it's also worth knowing that these companies have not really grown up with a philosophy of this type of compliance and they're moving far more into that social uh, social morality space so it's a long journey it's a slow journey and the only way the imp- impetus will be maintained is for this kind of pressure not just from Theresa May but from a unified group of countries and different cultures and uh, an international consensus which continues to apply this kind of pressure pressure to move it to where we want it to be it's worth bearing in mind however it will be impossible to get every single offensive piece of material off the internet. I think what the challenge is, is to make it scarcer, to make it harder to get at, and therefore eliminate the fat rump of availability of this data to many, many, many people who otherwise wouldn't easily have access to it. Uh, Chris Sampson, one of the examples I was seeing today, one of one of the tech companies was saying, "Look, we could, we can try and remove a bomb making advice, but but that might actually, if we particularly if we're using artificial intelligence, that might just be a signed a legal scientific experiment that's online, and th- and therefore that's all the confusion. I mean, is there anything they could be doing, for example, with the use of AI that they're not doing? Well, with AI, it would be a little bit more difficult to uh, determine that. They need human beings to assess what these materials are. And it is true that researchers have been targeted, uh, colleagues of ours, you know, that have been working on these materials and describe these materials are often the targets of uh, takedowns for, you know, uh, their materials when they're trying to explain things. But I think we need to back up a hair and ask ourselves, are we doing enough before all of this material is accessed to deal with the seeds of the radicalization itself because the materials themselves are not inherently what radicalize. Uh, It's the person's condition that is uh, left unchecked. So there's a lot more that the government and in our policies uh, in the the community uh, have to be addressed before we put the the focus on the tech drive. I take your point, but for the purposes of today, one extremist ranting in a street corner or indeed in a mosque can only radicalise a handful of people uh, through the the power of YouTube. They can reach the the globe. True. Uh, But we have to look at the tech giants uh, also and ask ourselves, okay, do they put the amount of labour into their advertising or their their money-making efforts as they do with radicalisation? And if they're only using a hundred some odd people, then the answer is clearly not, because they, they, I know that they would put the amount of money in to make money, 
but they're not taking it. But that's the moral approach I was mentioning earlier. Maybe maybe that they're they are diverting too much of their energy towards making money. I mean, I, I looked right. at, I looked at an example um, again. Let's make this a conversation, guys. But Charlie, I'll just bring you in, then you can all talk to yeah. each other. But but Charlie, I noticed today some figures I looked at YouTube, for example. Uh, every day they get two hundred thousand reports of inappropriate content. And that's not necessarily all, all all radical stuff. It could be anything, uh, and they review nine. 98% of it in 24 hours. So, Charlie, that sounds fairly a, a reasonable attempt to combat it. It does. I, I think, actually, that the, that the tech companies that Theresa May is giving a hard time to today have actually been working pretty hard to, um, to, to counteract this, particularly the kind of propaganda that's spread by the Islamic State. They have been doing it, and not just since there's been a lot of public pressure. I spent the last few years looking really, really closely at this, trying to follow the community of Islamic State propagandists, the official guys, from platform to platform, seeing how they use the internet and how they're talking about cybersecurity and that kind of thing. And back in 2015, summer of 2015, that was when they really started to feel the pain, the pressure on Twitter. Uh, and prior to that, I mean, Facebook at the time, that was, was really not a popular platform for them. It didn't have the right functionality for sharing lots of propaganda. And also YouTube was also taking down official videos, not as quick as it is these days, but it was taking down official Islamic State videos uh, in a relatively quick uh, amount of time. But Twitter, because of the actions that it took in 2015, again, prior to all of this very public pressure, it essentially forced the migration of the Islamic State onto other smaller platforms, something that the group hasn't been able to recover from. And well, occasionally you'll see an essay from an Islamic State supporter or a propagandist saying, guys, remember the good old days when we were on Twitter? We just can't do that anymore, but we can't give up the fight there. But well, Charlie, these measures do work. Charlie, just, we've got a bit of time, so we can, we can explore little paths here and there. Just explain what Twitter did then back, back in the day. How, how did they force uh, ISIS, for example, onto, onto other platforms? So the, the way that the Islamic State used to share propaganda on Twitter was based on it had a, a few, a very small number uh, of official accounts. And they would essentially upload, uh, would upload new content, uh, new videos, photo reports, radio broadcasts, all of that stuff onto Twitter. And then they'd spread it, they'd share it uh, to a very wide audience um, using hashtags. Now, over the course of a, a, a period of months, Twitter clearly realized, uh, based on consultation with, I'm sure there are lots of uh, back-channel government things going on then, but Twitter clearly realized that in order to, to get these guys off Twitter, uh, or at least in order to obstruct the way that they were using hashtags, they could do that, but it would require some clever algorithms. That, in combination with taking down thousands and thousands of accounts of people who were self-identifying. People used to be very candid about it back in 2014, 2015. They would say in their Twitter bio that they were supporters of the Islamic State. They would have names which would uh, show that they were supporters of the Islamic State and, and images like the Islamic State flag or Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, something like that, which would make it very, very obvious. So actually they were sitting ducks for the people at Twitter who were taking them down. And that just constant pressure, systematically implemented and constant pressure gradually push them away. But of course, we're still facing a massive problem from terrorism today, uh, arguably greater now than it was in 2015. And that isn't because uh, the Islamic State is, is hanging out on Twitter and having a really easy time there. It's happening for other reasons. And yes, the internet and the way it's being used by terrorists is a really big challenge that we face. But we can't just 
scapegoat it, essentially. And I think it's really important that the government, that Theresa May, when she's talking about this, talks about it with a great deal more nuance than she is at the moment, because when it's issues of free speech in mind, nuance is everything. Yeah. I mean, Brian, from a, a technological point of view, one thing that Theresa May is, is going to call for is, is for the big tech companies to develop some kind of software that will automatically block terrorist material before it's even uploaded and available. You know, stop them putting it on there in the first place. Is that, is that possible at the moment? How far away do you think a development like that might be? I mean, I think the distance we are away from the kind of sophistication of that kind of tool is a long way away. Um, yes, there is a lot of progress being made in the kind of machine learning, artificial intelligence uh, type of space, and particularly picking up the point that, that the previous speaker was saying, because actually uh, the, these organisations are having to use slightly more subtle methods. They can't just stand in plain sight anymore. They, they're still operating in that space, but they have to use slightly more subtle methods. Therefore, more advanced techniques need to be developed. And I think the risk being is that w if one can start developing artificial intelligence machine learning to be able to identify to Id not only just identify text identify images do the analysis of where data is being uploaded and between where it's shared all that kind of algorithmic analysis which then allows a system automatically to make a decision if you're going to get it right takes an awful an awful lot of time and effort and development if you apply it too bluntly what will happen is, as has already been mentioned, an awful lot of legitimate material will be washed away with some of the material they're trying to get at. And that starts running counter to the intent that needs to, needs, needs to happen. And I think, once again, going back to the nuance point, I think it is always very difficult for whether it's the Prime Minister, whether it's Home Secretary, to bring some of the nuancing out. And I think they do understand the nuancing. Mm -hmm. um, it's just this sort of sense of, well, just solve all this by technology as if you know as if it's extremely easy to do that so i do right. have a lot of sympathy for the for the tech giants however they do need to continue to invest the money that they do make into applying this type of tech this uh, developing these kind of tools because as the internet continues to be so pervasive in every aspect of life these type of tools are going to be needed for multiple purposes and not just counterterrorism was that you uh, coming in there charlie I think oh. it might have been Chris. Oh, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree with that. I think that there's a lot of burden on the tech giants in a way that still ignores the need within the policymaking field in our community, our general community, whether it's in Britain or here, uh, to, to really understand the core problem of the radicalization itself. But let me add to this that saying that, one, it's very important for us to corral extremists into an observable space. So when we remove them from one platform, we, we still want to keep an eye on what they're doing. And we should go a step further. So Facebook and, and Twitter or, or Telegram should also have um, basically threat, um, uh, threat intelligence in such a way like people like me do, where we're looking several layers before that stuff is posted to know where it's even being generated from instead of doing after the, uh, uh, an after effect of algorithm reliance only. 
because without that, you're you're just going to be swatting flies for yeah. the rest of the you know this this effort. I, I wonder, Chris, we, we had um, Yvette Cooper on earlier speaking in her role as the, the chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, and, and she was making the point that actually, you know, the big tech companies are quite good at hauling this material down when it's copyright issues, for example, you know, things that they right. might get sued for, and, and and that is maybe where their interest lies more than in you know the the public service of of taking down radicalizing material. Agreed. It, it, that's why I'm saying that if you look at the amount of effort and money put into commercial-related uh, needs, including, and that's a great example, copyright protection, YouTube has had for a long time the technology to prevent you or me from uploading movies or uploading songs that uh, we're not entitled to do, and it's instant matching, and you're, you know, you're liable to lose your account. But I can do the same thing with extremist material that's handmade whether it be ISIS or Nazis or white supremacists. And they're very vague about what they're going to do with that because, again, there's no commercial interest in this. And last, it's very important to recognize that on these platforms, you and I are the commodity. We are not the consumer entirely. We are actually, in fact, what's being sold to marketing companies in order to pitch to us products. So using that mindset, the companies are going to be a little bit behind the ball. They have to be very aggressive at this. No different than they would if they were afraid of a DMCA notice about copyright. I d- Could, uh, Brad, who's that? Yes, Brian. Could I make an, uh, just another comment about the commerciality, which is a slightly different perspective? Because I do, I do agree. What's also worth bearing in mind, which is is a which is a commercial factor, because they are global and they are inter, inter, uh, international organisations, is that one talks about close relationships between the industry and governments, the industry and the security security apparatus of of particular states. You know, we always have to bear in mind that these companies have in the past been been very, very badly burned commercially by perceptions of over-collaborating with states in counter-terrorism and in other types of area. And so what in some people's eyes is looking like collaboration and help to solve a problem through another set of prisms looks like helping states to spy which, on the population. Which is a what, very difficult balance to strike. Well, which is where we came in, Brian. With yeah. all this, There is a kind of moral ambiguity to yeah. all this. Look, uh, just we've got five minutes left, so I just want to go back. And this will probably seem a very naive question, Brian, but I, I suspect quite a few people might be sat at home thinking this. Where where does this all begin? For example, if I was to go on the internet and start start writing about or asking about how to build a bomb, etc., does does the mere use of that word set off some kind of uh, uh, algorithm somewhere that that would come back to me or that would shut down my inquiry or warn me? Where, where does it even begin, Brian? Oh, I mean, there are so many. There is no one single. There is no one single solution. I think there is a this sort of perception, you know, even going back to the days of telephone intercept, where people thought that if you said the word bomb on the telephone, then the police would break down your door within the next twenty five seconds, you know. And I think they 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 monitoring and determining what information is happening um, on the internet um, isn't as simple as simply looking for key necessarily looking for key words. It has because of the huge amount, just colossal amount of data and information around on the internet it has to be focused one has to have a whole load of collaborating collaborating information before you can really start focusing what you have what you have to look at so i think you know it it really is i think that the, the issue being is this sort of sense and, I, and, I, and I, it wasn't a naive question but i think the issue being is, is that there 
is this perception globally in the world of uh, modern technology that technology can solve every single problem. And we are still a long way away from that. What we have to be able to do, which I think the key debate is here, is the one that you very quite rightly made at the start, which is the moral obligation. And actually, how do organisations who are fundamentally providing a global public service start behaving with the same moral responsibility that any other public service provider should have? And there is a long cultural journey for these organisations to go on. They're starting to go on it, but they still need to go a little bit further. Charlie, what's your take on that? Yeah, if I can just jump in there, I I completely agree with the the moral obligation thing. And I also completely agree with the fact that technology is great, but it's not going to solve all of these problems in one fell swoop. We can't get an algorithm together that's going to stop terrorism. That's that's obviously never going to happen. But I I would like just to to add that I think we we really need to, to, to get it clear that if you are a supporter of a group like the Islamic State, you don't go on YouTube to try and get access to Islamic State propaganda. Sure, there is content there which is reprehensible, that has speakers who are reprehensible and have abhorrent views calling for people to do bad stuff, but it is not the official content of of, uh, a terrorist organization like the Islamic State. And I think that's something that's got a little bit lost in all this. If you want to do that kind of thing, you use other platforms, these other smaller platforms that don't have the same capability as something like Google or Facebook or Twitter. They don't have the computer scientists and the know-how to build these algorithms to automatically get content kicked off. But this is where I think that Theresa May is right to be urging more activity from these big social media corporations or internet service providers like Google. They do have a really big role to play and they could be doing more. And what they could be doing more of is taking on something of a mentoring role with other much smaller internet service providers because essentially they have the skills, they have the know-how, they are the closest, even if this technology is still difficult to get to, they they are the, the closest to reaching that point. If there's a little bit more information sharing, and of course information is premium here, it's something which is closely protected, but if there was that that structure, and I believe that that this is something that the Prime Minister is, is encouraging, if there was that structure where there was more information sharing, more technical sharing, more sharing of expertise, then I think that Google and Facebook and Twitter could go a long way to helping these smaller Uh, smaller ISPs with fewer resources to hand, fewer employees, fewer scientists to actually work on the problem that they face, the CT, the the counter-terrorism challenge that they face, which is actually a lot greater, uh, not just proportionally, but in real terms as well than something like YouTube faces. Yeah, just a couple of texts to throw in. The encryption cat is already out of the bag, says this one. If WhatsApp, Apple and et al uh, are forced to remove end-to-end encryption, the terrorists will move elsewhere. The government must know this, which raises the spectre that this isn't about terrorism, but allowing mass surveillance of the general populace. Uh, And John says, making it mandatory for individuals to provide identification to open a a Twitter or a Facebook or a YouTube account would reduce online crime, uh, publishing uh, of terrorist material and online abuse as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I give uh, Chris Sampson the final word to you. We've only got 30, 30 seconds left. Are we going to be any further forward after Theresa May speaks at the, the UN, this international consensus? Is it going to be any more effective, do you think? I, I don't think so, because, I, again, I think that the government's passing the buck on to the, uh, the tech companies. And one last thing is that our different countries have different standards when it comes to our policies. So the UK has far more stringent uh, capability to 
to limit um, the type of um, yeah. propaganda that's up there. But in the United States, it's it's a little bit different, you know. Or even other countries, it's going to be a very different platform. So every country is going to have to have its own policy evaluation okay. as well. Chris, thank you. We'll see how everybody reacts. Chris Sampson, Charlie Winter, Brian Lord, thank you. Theresa May still not on her feet at the United Nations. Phil Williams will no doubt have all the reaction to her speech at half 